0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop talks about Christian unity and the meaning of abiding in God's love. Then it's on to this Sunday's Gospel reading, which tells the story of Jesus calling his first disciples to repent, reorient their lives, and follow him.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop who is always so generous to... Give us a little slice of his time to share with us and inspire us and challenge us. Thank you for being here, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. It's
0: always fun to be with
1: you. (laughs) Okay. There was a little (laughs) pause there. Always.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if I wanted to say uh, great, but I decided (laughs) to say fun because
1: it is fun. Okay. And great too. So I was curious, a lot of talk about the vaccine. We've talked about the Ethics of the vaccine in the past. You said it was ethical to receive the vaccine. Is that something that you're planning on doing?
0: Yes, I'm. I'm in contact with so many people. It's it's really important not only to protect myself, and I have some underlying conditions, but also you know to protect others. I I do feel uh, it's an important responsibility. Yep. Are you suggesting that everybody get it or? Is this? Well, it's up to each person. I mean, the church doesn't, um, obviously, doesn't mandate. I mean, Pope Francis has already gotten it, Mm -hmm. a lot of bishops. I think um, if one doesn't get the vaccine, one has to especially be especially careful that they're not um, exposing people if they're infected or, you know, they could be asymptomatic. I mean, even if we're vaccinated, we. You know, we don't know if we could also still transmit it if it's in our our nose or mouth mm-hmm. or something. That um, so, they'd still wear masks. But it's really important that uh, people think of the well being and health of others.
1: Do you have any idea on how things might change with how we do mass and the precautions as, as that might? Kind of taper off and things loosen up a little bit as yeah. the vaccine becomes more I popular i think once
0: there's herd immunity mm-hmm. uh which of course won't be until sizable percentage of the population is vaccinated so i don't know when i mean i don't want to predict i mean maybe mm-hmm. the the uh government and the healthcare officials would have a better idea um you know hopefully by the summer i'm hoping sure all right well, would you like to start us off in prayer today Yes, I think since it's inauguration day, I thought it would be appropriate to use the the uh, prayer by Bishop John Carroll, the first bishop here in the United States who wrote this prayer for inauguration of a public official. It includes prayer for the president, but also the Congress, and it's kind of been adapted in our in the Book of Blessings, you know, the Church's Book of Blessings. But I really like this prayer from Bishop Carroll. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty and eternal God, you have revealed your glory to all nations, God of power and might, wisdom and justice. Through you, authority is rightly administered, laws are enacted, and judgment is decreed. Assist with your spirit of counsel and fortitude, the President of these United States, that his administration may be conducted in righteousness and be eminently useful to your people over whom he presides. May he encourage due respect for virtue and religion. May he execute the laws with justice and mercy. May he seek to restrain crime, vice, and immorality. Let the light of your divine wisdom direct the deliberations of Congress and shine forth in all the proceedings and laws framed for our rule and government. May they seek to preserve peace, promote national happiness, and continue to bring us the blessings of liberty and equality. We likewise commend to your unbounded mercy, all citizens of the United States, that we may be blessed in the knowledge and sanctified in the observance of your holy law. May we be preserved in union and that peace which the world cannot give. And after enjoying the blessings of this life, be admitted to those which are eternal. We pray to you who are Lord and God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And Mary Immaculate, patroness of the United States. Pray for us. Pray for us. In
1: the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, I think with that kind of as a as a background and and with that prayer kind of mentioning unity in there <laughs> something that maybe we're kind of struggling with as a country right now and even within Christianity Catholicism this is actually the middle of week of prayer for Christian unity which goes from January 18th through the 25th and this year's theme, I thought maybe we could get you to reflect on a little bit. It's abide in my love. You shall bear much fruit, which comes from John chapter 15, verse 1 through 17. Uh, maybe first of all, a little background on the week of prayer for Christian unity. It's kind of a mouthful to think of. I think we've talked about this in the past a little bit when this comes up, but uh, is, is there a history of this? Has this been going on for a long time to have this week?
0: Yeah, since 1908. Oh, wow. I mean, it uh, it was celebrated, first observed. And um, there was a Franciscan convent. Uh, it was the, uh, the Friars of the Atonement, <laughs> and it was part of the Episcopal Church. So it was um, up in New York. And so these friars, Franciscan friars and sisters of the Atonement, kind of got this started. And it's interesting that two of them the two co founders of the Franciscan Friars and Sisters of the Atonement were very committed to Christian unity. And their names were Father Paul Watson and Sister Lorana White. They were Episcopalians, Americans, and they were very committed to the reunion of the Anglican communion with the Roman Catholic Church. So they started this prayer movement. And um, actually, it attracted Catholics as well as Anglicans, not not real big at the beginning. And then it's interesting how both Father Watson and Sister Lorana ended up becoming Catholics. Hmm. And at that point, I think it was maybe about eight years after this started, the Pope, who was St. Pius X at the time, in 1916, um, well, he gave his blessing to it. And then in 1916, his successor, Pope Benedict XV, extended the observance to the whole universal church. So this became an important part of the life of the Catholic Church. At first, it was called the Church Unity Octave because it was eight days. And it began on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. In the old calendar, that was January 18th. Now we celebrate it on February 22nd. Okay. And it always ended on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, which is January 25th, and it still is the 25th. So so we still observe it at that time, And um, but it became a worldwide thing. It wasn't just an American thing. It go- went beyond Catholics and Anglicans to or Episcopalians, to include christians of other denominations protestants orthodox it's really been a kind of important and um, the pope has usually every year on the you know usually has a big ecumenical service often in the the basilica of saint paul outside the walls yeah. with uh, leaders of other christian communities and then every year there's a there's a theme a particular scripture passage that that becomes the focus for the prayer and the meditation that goes on during the week of prayer. Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe with that, we can talk a little bit about this year's theme, which is, Abide in My Love, You Shall Bear Much Fruit. I mentioned that comes from John chapter 15. Uh, really, it's it's just a part of, they use the whole, I guess, the section there, the whole story of the John chapter 15, 1 through 17.
0: Yeah, they kind of take two little snippets. Uh-huh. Abide in my love, I think, is at the beginning, and then you shall bear much fruit is more to the end. But it's the whole image of the vine and the branches, and it's just a beautiful passage in, in John chapter
1: 15. So maybe you can help us tie that in, the vine, the branches, and and how, I guess, do we all fit in whenever we're talking about not just Catholics, but other denominations, how are we all united on this vine and branches? Yeah, yeah. No, good, great question.
0: Anyone who's been baptized and is a Christian is united to the vine. So that includes all of our Protestant brothers and sisters, our Orthodox brothers and sisters, but there's an imperfect uh, unity, as you know. We speak of our Protestant... Protestants as our uh, separated brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. They're they're not in full communion with the Church of Christ, with the Catholic Church. But there is a communion nonetheless. I mean, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are truly baptized. So we can't forget that this is something quite deep. And the divisions uh, within Christianity are... Very unfortunate, you know. It, it hinders our witness, our mm-hmm. witness in the world, because Christians are divided. So that's why the Catholic Church is, as John Paul II said, irrevocably committed to ecumenism. There was a monastic community in Switzerland that prepared this this year's week of prayer for Christian unity materials. It's a it's a community in in Switzerland a, a female community of sisters i think they're maybe the reformed tradition and that's another community that a lot of times we don't think of religious communities in protestant churches but there are some mm-hmm. and these sisters kind of share a, a monastic life and they're very much committed to praying for christian unity and they welcome people of all different kinds of, of uh, different Christian communities and kind of like reminds me a little bit of Taizé uh, okay. in France, you know, which is really an ecumenical community. But, but anyhow, they, they live a life of prayer and community and hospitality. So they worked on this theme. And one of the things that I think is helpful, this is all organized by the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. Hmm. together with the World Council of Churches. So that's kind of like who, I guess you could call it the, the sponsors of the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, the Commission on Faith and Order of the World Council of Churches and the Vatican Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. So these sisters prepared the materials and the theme, but it's really... This is all sponsored by the Vatican together with the World Council of Churches Commission on Faith and Order. I love the theme this year. I mean, it's you know, the vine and the branches, abide in my love. It gets to the very heart. And and when you think about it, not only in the context of the week of prayer for Christian unity, but in the context of what's going on in the world, especially Mm -hmm. in our own nation, where there's so much division and polarization. How do we, as disciples of Christ, that means Protestants as well as Catholics, and Orthodox, our Orthodox brothers and sisters, how are we to live as as Christians, as followers of Christ in this climate where there is so much division? So this is a very relevant thing, and I think what we have to keep in mind always is what Jesus says, abide in my love. I mean, that's kind of, he keeps saying that in this passage from John 15. You know, there's deadly conflicts all over the world, but we see even in our own country this intensifying division and culture wars, et cetera. This was not that unlike the time of Jesus, because there was a lot of violence going on. There was a lot of conflict. And what does Jesus say? He says, abide in my love. Which means we have to stay connected to him, first and foremost, and obey his command to love others. You know, anything less, Jesus is warning us, leads to death. But he promises us that if we remain in his love, and we receive his love, and we extend his love to others, then that's what brings joy. That's what brings peace. I mean, this is pretty much fundamental Christianity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we share it with our Protestant brothers and sisters. But how was Jesus received when he said these things? He was, he was considered heretical. He was considered dangerous, disrupting the temple. You know, when you think about our Lord's life, he embraced the Samaritans. The Samaritans were hated. Right. You know, he would heal people of sickness on the Sabbath. So there was some outrage Mm -hmm. and fear, and that's what we see in our society today. We see this this outrage sometimes and this fear. Nationalism, for example. So all around Jesus, we see this polarization happening, disinformation, demonization, (laughs) and John, St. John, keeps saying that the people were divided because of Jesus. And and you see this today on social media, you see it on the streets, you see it in the news. Then there were plots to assassinate Jesus and, and a lot of insults, mob violence. The disciples were afraid that they'd get killed. Jesus started avoiding public places and... Then there were arrests and surveillance and all this things. Lazarus was targeted to be assassinated. Jesus expected, revealed that he expected to be killed. And St. John, through all this, says, and it was night. That image of, of darkness and light in John's gospel is very prominent. So I think you could say, in some ways, it's like night hmm. uh, in the world today. You know, there's so much darkness. All this is, is quite familiar to us. So I think we can really apply this to our situation today. And how does Jesus respond to this crisis? His beautiful words, but they're challenging. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. <laughs> I am the true vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's the source of life. He loves us as the Father loves him. It's a chain of love from God the Father to Jesus, from Jesus to us, and from us to one another Hmm. to stay in his love, abide in his love. I got a letter just two weeks ago that was someone wrote to me, a Catholic, and, and it was really filled with almost hate towards Protestants and Jews. I mean, it is so against our faith. I had to respond pretty strongly. But that's out there. Anyone who hates is not abiding in Jesus. It's just, they're just not. And Jesus gives a warning. I mean, I think it's good to see in this parable. He says, whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's pretty severe. Yeah. But we have to abide in love. We have to abide in him. You know, that's how we're going to be judged at the end of our life. St. John of the Cross, I love that. You know, at the sunset of my life, I will be judged on love. So Jesus gives us that new commandment. It's right there in John chapter 15. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what Jesus is commanding us today, this undivided, self-giving love. And it comes from Jesus. I mean, we're united to him. It's kind of like the sap in the vine needs to come into us. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what the Eucharist is all about? I always think that's the sacrifice of Christ's love self-giving total love that becomes present at mass and when we receive his body and blood we're empowered we're given the energy the grace to go out and love one another as he has loved us so i think it's a great theme for this week of prayer for Christianity. imagine if we were united in this right you know we have various you know some doctrinal disagreements we we hold a lot in common i mean when you think about it, the, the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the fundamentals of the faith. The areas of division we have to work on, obviously. Right. There's theological dialogues. There's a lot of work on this. And I'm not minimizing the importance of some of those things. but And they are important, whether it's the papacy or, you know, other teachings that our people disagree on. But let's not forget what we agree on. You know, we all pray lord's prayer Mm -hmm. we all believe in the ten commandments we all believe in the sermon on the mount we accept the gospels the bible is the inspired word of god we hold in common all those dogmatic truths that are there in the nicene creed so we should work together for unity and not be attacking each other
1: right and like you mentioned, it's also happening within the Catholic Church. It's not just you know an ecumenical thing, but also we need to be united as Catholics as well. And as I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, I was thinking about what you were saying about how at Jesus' time, there was so much division. And it made me think of Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, which says, I have come to bring not peace, but the sword. So how do we how do we reconcile those two that Jesus came to bring division? He's saying, I've come not to bring peace, but the sword. But also we know that he came to bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace and he wants us all to be united. What? What is that whole, I came to, not yeah. to bring peace, but the sword?
0: That's why you always have to be careful about taking one sentence out of context mm-hmm. uh, from the gospels. That's always dangerous. So you have to have a good exegesis of that. The fact of the matter is, when pure love came into the world, Christ himself, the incarnate Son of God, the division comes from those who accept him versus those who reject him. So there is going to be a division. We see it, for example, at the time of Christ and after in the early Christian community, there was division in families because there'd be those who accepted Jesus and others who did not. So there's no justification using that sentence to say that uh, we then go out and disobey Jesus's commandment to love. No, that would make things contradictory. We have to look at the whole of Scripture and the whole of the New Testament, the whole body of Christ's teaching. Even today, we can think about when we stand up for what is right and good and true, that will provoke, at times, division. Mm Mm-hmm but that doesn't mean that
1: we are the ones responsible for it in other words yeah there's a difference between division happening and causing the division i suppose or instigating it but i think what you're saying you know within the church itself
0: it's really important i'm speaking of the catholic church not just with other christians but just among catholics we need more kindness towards people Who have different opinions? There's a lot of anger out there. When people claim to be Catholic or claim to be Christian and are filled with unrighteous anger and hate, that is really a denial
1: of Christ. Well, and the timing of all of this seems almost Perfect. I guess any time in the past year, we could have needed a, a time for praying for unity. But with all the political division, you know, the riots in D.C. recently, the inauguration being today, um, and then also the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and the whole pro-life movement, and which sometimes unites Christians, and I suppose other times might divide some Christians as well. Um, any thoughts on this kind of political yeah. division? Martin
0: Luther King. Right. also right, this sure. week. I mean, we
1: have all, when you think about it,
0: all of this, this week, I mean, it's really pretty prominent, I, but I'm glad you, you know, the past election season and also the pandemic, we've seen a lot of anger. We've seen hate, you know, talking about, uh, Martin Luther King, we see this, this whole ongoing problem of racism. Then in the pandemic, you know, we see people fighting over things like masks, And people who don't care that much about protecting the elderly and the vulnerable, but they're just thinking, oh, this is my freedom. Why do I have to wear a mask? All this kind of stuff. We had that crazy mob that attacked the Capitol. Notice they were, I mean, some carried Confederate flags, some Mm -hmm. carried flags of Donald Trump, some carried American flags. I mean, it was all so disturbing. But you know what disturbed me the most about that? I don't know if we talked about this the other week, but a few who were carrying banners with the name of Jesus on them. Hmm. How can one reconcile Christian discipleship with unrighteous anger and hate? You can't. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the first letter of St. John. I think everyone should step back and read this letter. Uh I really do. I say this to high school students. Both of Bishop Dwenger and Bishop Loris, where I had mass, Masses these past two weeks, and the first readings were from First Letter of John, and I mean he's very strong. He goes he goes so far as to say those who reject brotherly love are not children of God; hmm. they're children of the devil. I mean <laughs> that's pretty that's strong indeed. Yeah, you know, think of some of those 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 lines in Saint John's letter. He says, "Whoever does not love remains in death." And everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. He doesn't mince words. And then, you know, he says, if someone who has worldly means sees a brother or sister in need and refuses him compassion, how can the love of God remain in him? It can't. I mean, I think so often, I might have said this on the show before, the millions of refugees in the world. There was a picture in today's Catholic, maybe two issues ago, of um, one of those, uh, you know, just f- flesh and bone children in in Yemen, and you know it's just like they're being ignored. Mm-hmm. You know how will God judge us? And and yet we don't we ignore them, refuse to welcome these refugees, for whatever reason, xenophobia or whatever. So it's not enough to say we believe in Jesus or that we're Christian or we're Catholic. What does St. John says? He says, we should believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Faith without love isn't true faith. Mm-hmm. And St. Paul says the same thing. And when this spirit of, uh, really, John calls these people antichrists, when this enters into the church, it brings corruption. You know, False Christians, false prophets claiming to be pious yet not caring about the poor, the vulnerable, the unborn, the immigrant, the refugee. And then there's some who care seem to care only about the unborn but could care less about the refugee mm-hmm. or those who care about refugees and the poor but care less about the unborn. you know I've said this before I said this during the election people more pro-Trump or pro Biden than they are pro-Jesus. <laughs> And the danger is faith becoming an ideology, faith becoming an ideology, people being misled by false messiahs. Who do we belong to? Who do we belong to? Do we belong to Jesus Christ or a political idol, a political idol? St. John says, whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. This is the logic of Christianity. This is the logic of God, who loved us so much that he sent his son, who died on the cross out of love for us. We need to be authentic Christians. We need to reject these political ideologues, demagogues, who try to manipulate us on social media, whatever. As Catholics, we uphold the dignity of every human person. We've got to stop listening to false teachers and hypocrites, modern-day Pharisees who claim to be religious, but whose hearts are hardened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus, the truth that we must love one another, because that's how we're going to be judged by God. I really think with this, here we are, inauguration today, anniversary coming up of Roe v. Wade, Martin Luther King's birthday, you know, we look at abortion, we look at racial injustice, they're both intrinsic evils. We've got to stop listening to false messiahs and accept the true messiah and his teaching.
1: I love it. And I feel like those are the things that you're talking about that are dividing Christians and it's not it's not a legitimate thing to be... On, on one side or the other. And this whole abiding in Christ, I, I think I'm starting to understand it more as you're breaking this down of like that is what should be uniting us is our our willingness to just rest in Christ and to live in in Christ. Like that that can bring us all together. And yes, we're gonna have disagreements over things, but we can still love each other. We can still be united in that abiding i don't know it's kind of a funny word because i don't feel like we use that a whole lot in normal kind of talking we don't talk about abiding in things but i don't know, it's, just, it's just almost like a visual like kind of like this this christian hug of of yeah. of love or something yeah
0: you know the the greek word is menane another translation is is to remain to mm-hmm. remain or to abide. Mm-hmm. I like the abide translation because it gives that idea of we rest in God's loving arms, you know. Remain kind of gives the idea of being steadfast. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean there's different shades of meaning I think. But the whole idea is staying connected to the vine. We're the branches. We have to stay connected to the vine.
1: Yeah. So on the USCCB website, usccb.org under the Ecumenical Interreligious Affairs, there's there's a meditation, there's a prayer for each day starting on Monday. So today, like for example, it says maturing internally, abide in me as I abide in you, is the scripture. There's also Ephesians and Luke. There's a meditation, there's a prayer. I don't know how many people are aware that this is even available, but uh, now's not too late to kind of jump on this. How should we be? Implementing is one thing to be like, uh, to, we'll we'll pray for Christian unity. But what are some practical things that we should be doing this week to to pray, to engage in this, but also, I guess, to act on it as well. Yeah, there was a time I think where there was more active involvement in
0: the week of prayer for Christian unity. It kind of needs a little bit of a revival. It's it's hard this year because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, I I often would have a ecumenical prayer service during this week, but not this year because of the pandemic. It's mm-hmm. just hard. I mean, for several years, when Bishop Little was the, uh, before he retired, when he was Bishop of the uh, Episcopal Diocese of Northern Indiana, we would have an annual ecumenical service, and we got a lot of people who came. And that was really beautiful to, to pray together. I think a lot of this has, is hopefully is happening on the parish level, where there might be a neighboring Protestant church or Orthodox church where there can be some joint, uh, not only prayer together, but even service together. I do know some places where, for example, they'll together uh, operate a soup kitchen, Mm -hmm. or they'll mutually support each other in outreach to the poor and the needy in, in various ways. I think a lot of it needs to happen grassroots, with those in, in our own neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, neighborhood churches, there's some places, I think, of Bluffton in our diocese, where the Protestant ministers and the Catholic priest and, and I think there might be an Orthodox priest too, where they get together on a monthly le- uh, for a lunch, mm-hmm. and they do some things together. I know up in Granger, St. Pius X and Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in, in Elkhart, which is not far from Granger, they were doing some wonderful. Activities together, especially in the area of, uh, you know, theological discussions. And as a matter of fact, I spoke spoke at one of those. So, so these are happening in our diocese, and I really do think that this should be part of every parish's mission that they develop that relationship with brothers and sisters of other Christian churches and communities.
1: All right. Well, again, people can find more information at usccb.org. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll take a look at the upcoming Sunday's gospel and the call from Jesus to follow him coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
0: Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values, why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and this upcoming Sunday the gospel reading, uh, Jesus is calling us. We've been talking about unity and and how to reach out to fellow Christians, and I think part of that is by imitating Christ, who loved people that disagreed with him, even his enemies. You know, and he's calling us this Sunday to follow him literally, to to follow him in his example. And and I think he does this by calling the, the fishermen, first of all, but he's also calling us individually to follow him as well. So, any reflections on this reading? It's Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 20. Yeah, I
0: think notice before, you know, it starts with the call to conversion. That's what we need to hear. Of course, we hear that every Lent, but we need to hear this call today, given everything that's going on call to repentance. So, I'd probably be good to read it. At least, I'll I'll just break it into two parts, Mm -hmm. uh, the introduction and then the actual calling of four of the apostles. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I mean, that was pretty eventful, John's arrest. Imagine... How Jesus felt, and you know, with the arrest of John. Now, at this point, Jesus is going back, has returned to Galilee, and what's he doing? He's proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel means good news, okay? So he's proclaiming the good news that comes from God and the good news about God. When you read this, you can think, I mean, a person who reads this back then, would think immediately of what Isaiah had prophesied, that there would be an anointed one sent by God who would bear good news. Okay, so here we have it, Jesus proclaiming the good news of God. You know, he's God's messenger. Of course, he's, he's God himself. He's the son of God. The good news from God that Jesus proclaims is that this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand time of fulfillment this is the time God decided to bring his plan of salvation to fulfillment. you know everything led up to this. All the God's work with the people throughout the Old Testament led to this moment when he sent his son you know he came to sh- you know to destroy power of sin and evil and death to establish his kingdom, his dominion, that's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. It's arrived you know So he said so what's the message? repent and believe in the gospel. This is a call to respond Jesus you know it's it's the idea of, of change a change of life. you know we think of repent as being okay being turning back from our sins that's that's true. that's in the Old Testament that's important to return to God but this word in Greek, here is really metanoia. It's more than just turning away from sin. It's also having a change of life, mm-hmm. a change of thinking, a change of mind, a reorientation of our life. That's what he means when he says, repent and believe in the gospel, to believe the good news that he proclaims. So, so then we read on, as he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat along with the hired men and followed him poor Zebedee, huh? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I gotta finish this myself uh, with my hired hands. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, uh, once on a visit to the Holy Land, my first time there, I spent a morning sitting along the Sea of Galilee, just imagining, you know, Jesus calling these fishermen. So this is the beginning of gathering disciples to himself. Disciple is like a student. But what's really unusual here is that Jesus just didn't gather students. He, you know, students of a rabbi didn't just, uh, you know, didn't go and and actually follow the teacher. They didn't like go and live with him or stay with him. That's what these did. So it's kind of unique. So, so Jesus starts gathering these and the first ones are Simon and Andrew, two brothers, you know, there they were just doing their regular work. This fishing—they were involved in commercial fishing. This wasn't like us going out fishing, sports. Uh-huh. You know, like this was their livelihood. Okay, right. it's interesting. They were—I saw some fishermen were out of the sea of Galilee. They, one of the fish they call it Saint Peter's fish—is is really tilapia, but there would be sardines, there would be carp, and these these this tilapia. There were about twenty species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Anyhow, I'm getting off the the track here. But but what does Jesus say? Come after me. Not just to be his students. He wants them to be with him, to share his life. That's what being a disciple is. That's what he says to us. Share my life. Don't just be my students. Be with me. And then he calls them to share his mission. Mm -hmm. He says, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the mission part of it, to share his life, but also to to bring others into discipleship. I think the response of Simon and Andrew is always remarkable to me. It's immediate. I don't know. Was this their first encounter with Jesus? I don't know. Um, maybe they had some other contact beforehand. its I don't think we can rule that out, But but, I mean, they got up. And they abandoned their nets and followed him. And then our Lord walks a little bit further and sees James and, and John. They were mending their nets, so they were also commercial fishermen. And he called them, and uh, there were hired men there. I guess, I would guess that there was a business with was, was Zebedee, with his two sons, a small fishing business, but they had some hired men with them. So uh-huh. they had some employees who, who worked with them. So they might have been moderately prosperous, who knows? But they also left behind their boat and that's to follow Jesus. Left Zebedee their father behind. One of the things that when we follow the Lord, even close human relationships, even family, becomes second. You know that's that's uh, the cost of discipleship. Mm -hmm. You know there are times where Jesus called disciples that, and they didn't accompany him in his travels. We can think about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They. You know, not all followers actually traveled with him, but, but these did. And, and this was really became his inner circle. When you think of Simon, who became Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were pretty much his inner circle. I think of them as his best friends. Mm-hmm. But I think it's good to meditate on and see, you know, are we willing to leave everything behind to follow him, to make him the center of our life?
1: Even leaving good things, because I think the first part that repent and believe in the gospel, like, yes, we have to leave sin. We have to leave, you know, maybe bad decisions that we're making. We need to turn away from that. But also, like, they're leaving their nets. They're leaving their jobs. They're leaving their family. Like, those were good things. It's not like fishing was some kind of life of sin necessarily or that, you know, being around their friends and family was a bad thing. They were leaving a good for something greater.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing, you know, remember the idea of a change of mentality. Now, that didn't happen overnight. You know, they messed up a lot. Jesus, you know, that's why it took three years. (laughs) You know, Jesus was teaching them. He was showing them how to live in his kingdom. I mean, there were times when, you know, they made mistakes where they would want to respond to enemies with violence, and Jesus had to stop them. Right. You know, I mean... All these different things, they had to learn what it meant to be his disciple, what it means to live in his kingdom. It's the same with us, you know, continual conversion. I'm still learning how to be a disciple, you know, even in the things we talked about earlier in the show. I mean, who of us is loving perfectly? None Mm -hmm. of us. So, this change of mentality, this metanoia that's involved, but he doesn't ask us to be perfect. He's helping to lead us into holiness and perfection Mm -hmm. but we have to be united to him stay with him i mean that's so very important with it come after him and then
1: he makes us fishers of men to bring others to him right all right well we are out of time so just remind people that if you have any questions you can text the holy cross college text line at 260 436 9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit.
0: Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you, Kyle. For additional materials on the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, check out the link in the show notes.
1: To listen to episodes anytime, search for Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes on your favorite podcast app. Hit subscribe and you won't miss a new show. Truth in Charity
0: with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.